about today uh, from a, a brief um, sort of, you know, 5,000 foot overview or whatever the saying is, um, is about string theory, black holes, uh, quantum en entanglement, uh, and, and topics like that, because I know that that's in your field of expertise. I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to mention quick in the beginning of the show, so you, you have a new book that's hmm. out. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's called uh, The Dialogues, Conversations About uh, the Nature of the Universe. Absolutely, yes. Um, and you wrote, you didn't only write that book, you also illustrated that book. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, uh, well, it's one of those things where the title of such a book is, is, is problematic. It's a nonfiction graphic novel, if that makes sense. Nonfiction graphic novel. <laughs> in the sense that the science uh, that being discussed in it is, is, is real science, not science fiction. Um, but the settings are fictional in the sense that I, I'm, I'm, I'm having characters be in dialogue about the science. And so it's a, it's a vehicle um, for... Uh, getting the reader to be excited about the ideas, to welcome them into being part of the conversation. Um, uh, but it, you know, it's at heart a nonfiction science book for the general public. So in the, the premise of the book, there are nine conversations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and right. they're kind of, each one is delving into a different... Um, aspect of physics yes ultimately yeah physics or just inquiry about the world around us i mean some of it will be what you might expect which is you know things from my field to do with the quantum nature of space time and black holes and stuff but some of it is also uh, about questions about very everyday aspects of science because i think these things are all connected so you'll 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 uh, you'll see a, quite a range of topics that's great. And where could people pick up the book if they're interested? Well, hopefully uh, all good bookstores. Uh, uh, I, I think um, you should be able to find it certainly on the usual online sources like Amazon and so on and so forth. But also uh, lot, lots of uh, bookstores carry it, whether it be the big chains or the smaller ones. And if not, get them to, to order it and uh, get you a copy and maybe leave some on the shelves. Great. <laughs> um, so... When did you start? When did your interest in science begin? How old were you when you? Oh gosh, uh, that actually goes that that goes back a long way to to the extent that I would probably say it it it. Well, okay, let me take a step back. In my view, uh, I think I think we all start out as scientists to some extent, as uh, you know the business as of curious being a, children. Yeah, yeah, the business of being a child, trying to map out the world and navigate in the world you're asking questions you're doing experiments all the time uh and you know it's fundamentally what science is all about and uh, i think some kids continue doing that and some uh stop uh some continue doing it and become professionals doing that and we call them scientists mm. i was one of those who just continued so I, it wasn't that i was always it wasn't that i suddenly discovered that way of being uh, it was the way i've always been uh is that does that sound weird i don't know no you're just uh <laughs> curious uh, that curiosity just stuck stay, stayed yeah. with you um and it's interesting in, in some people maybe it's not as uh prominent uh, the curiosity after a certain age um i my 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 feeling is that it it's it's there in strong measure in everyone mm -hmm. almost by necessity and then it's like a survival mechanism. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's how we figure. You know, how do you figure something like just walking or 
figuring out the shape of an object that you have to do in order to pick it up and drink from it as you just did mm-hmm. that's really really complicated mm-hmm. right that and that you learn how to do that and you learn by trial and error and you and you learn uh and you form a model of 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 how those things are in order to you know so that you don't have to learn it every time for the for every different cup right mm. stuff like that that that's that that's the whole process of science right there. So I think we all do it. And then for whatever reason, I think, you know, whether it be our upbringing, the people around us, things like that, it's an issue of whether you are um, uh, uh, discouraged or encouraged to, to do more of it or less of mm. it. And, and also other interests come up and things like that. So, yeah. so kind of the nature versus nurture in a lot of in I, some I'm, instances? I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a nurture person than mm. I am a, a nature person in the sense that I, I, I think the the overemphasis, and I suspect we'll come back to this later on, uh, I think there's an overemphasis on people having a natural talent for thing A or thing B. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, if that exists at all, it's it's much less important than all the other things that aren't as sort of sexy sounding like practicing and being interested and mm. repeating it and doing the the quote-unquote 10,000 hours doing the work. <laughs> right. uh, that's way more important. And that's all the, the nurture stuff. That's, mm. you know, uh, incubating uh, a basic skill set and then turning it into uh, something that's truly uh, uh, creative and, and, and powerful as a, as a skill that you can use to do things. Hmm. Um, some of the questions that I, I, I wanted to talk to you about in, um, you know, st- string theory... Um, etc. My knowledge is um, very, very. I'm, I'm way probably not even a novice. So um, please excuse any of anything that I say <laughs> or any question that I ask. Um, ne- never be embarrassed yes. to ask uh, questions. Often those questions that people think are the silly ones that they should apologize for turn out mm. to be some of the most fundamental and profound questions. Okay. And I, I bet you're going to, I hope I asked some profound ones right now. So <laughs> um, it, no it, pressure. It's yeah. <laughs> I hope I, I got some good questions here. Um, it seems it, it's an exciting time for science that, that there's a, a big interest that big, um, I, I feel, um, a lot of podcasts are dedicated to science. Uh, mo- I'm mostly I'm, I'm speaking, I guess about physics and, and astronomy maybe primarily. Um, but, uh, it seems like there's a, um, I don't know, maybe it's always been there. Maybe that fascination w- with space has always been there, but I'm seeing, um, a, a lot of websites dedicated to it. And, um, uh, would you, would you say that's always been kind of the way that it was, or is it a more recent uh, spike in interest? I that's a really good question. I actually don't know the answer for sure. Uh, you know, not having really d- done a proper study, uh, I I I I just am excited that there are certainly at least more signs that uh, people are creating. Uh, or curating sometimes uh, uh, knowledge or ideas that they find interesting in their own way, and there are more and more people doing that in different ways. So rather than there being uh, a few sources with tons of information, which some people might find daunting, or they might know about, or they might not know about those sources, right. you have multiple sources slicing the information in various ways: podcasts, blogs, social media sites, Instagram accounts dev- devoted to, you know, 
astronomy pictures or yeah. so there's just that there's so there seems to be more uh, modes of finding the information um and so whether that means there's more people interested i don't know but i think it, it certainly allows more people of different kinds and different backgrounds to be part of the conversation and i think that can only be a good thing absolutely um it just uh, one other thing are you seeing there's misinformation put out with all these sites because like there are blogs and podcasts and etc. Uh, my p- previous background, I worked as a journalist, so there was an ethical requirement that we had as a as a journalist to to, to tell the facts, which doesn't exist with podcasts. You know, it does for people that that take what they're doing, you know, and they want mm. to do something ethically, but there's no requirement to do that. So are, are you, is that a concern for you that there might be some misinformation put out there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, the, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a whole topic unto itself. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's certainly uh, always has been the problem that uh, the, the trappings of authority that science um, uh, can and sometimes should have in in uh, in people's minds can be misused by people to legitimize something that really has no scientific basis, and 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 that happens a lot, um, and uh, and has happened a lot. And you can imagine now in this in this in this regime where we have so many more sources of science, there's going to be more sources of pseudoscience as well. Sure. Um, again, I haven't done the measurement, so I don't know whether the ratio of junk stuff to real stuff has has changed. Um, uh, either up or down compared to how it was when there were fewer outlets. Mm. Uh, I, I simply don't know. Um, I, my suspicion is that it's probably about the same ratio, um, uh, which, 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 uh, which is still worrying because what we have seen is a decline in people's uh, patience to dig deeply. Uh, 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 unwillingness to go the extra mile to check sources and stuff like that so even if the even if the ratio of good information to bad information hasn't changed and it's it's spread into all these other modes like social media in the same way uh, if there's been a decline in how careful people are about using their sources then that you know that's that's uh, that's still a problem Sure. So, uh, like clickbait articles, where clickbait yeah. articles, um, uh, you know, things talking about uh, perhaps, uh, you know, without being too specific, whether it be to do with medicine or something like that, people claiming things by maybe only showing you some of the studies that support that what they want you to hear mm-hmm. to to sell their product or believe their 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 story um and you go well that looks scientific there's someone in a lab coat in the picture and they've quoted some you know some papers but it's bogus but it's bogus yeah Uh, um and uh we're we're in a time now where there's certainly a lot less patience on uh, uh, uh that people have to to dig a little deeper and go, does this really line up? Uh, and another good example, of course, is, is climate change, mm-hmm. right? Um, people, um, uh, you know, are, are trying to uh, undermine some of the legitimacy of 
a lot of the research that's out there for political ends or 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 just because sometimes they honestly don't want to believe uh uh the, the the connections we're seeing and so they that you know the smart way of doing that now is not just to go no it's not true and put your hands on your ears uh the smart way to do it is to quote your own sources and your your own counter uh evidence evidence as it were yeah. and uh if people aren't uh taking the time to dig a little bit deeply they might be swayed by that pseudo argument well it's it's unanimous among scientists right that there is a change due to CO2 emissions? Well, you know, there's two issues. Um, and let me preface this by saying uh, I, this is not my field of expertise, sure. but of course I study these things uh, uh, as, a, I, I think, you know, as, as an interested citizen who has a scientific background. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's two issues. And one is, is there climate change? And then, there, and then the issue of, is it our fault? Okay. Right. And so I think there's been a lot less... Uh, pushback on the is there climate change aspect and it's been put more now into the well but it's nothing to do with us so we don't have to change our behavior because nature was just going to do that anyway right yeah okay interesting yeah Um, I've heard that argument too and about you know uh, taxes on CO2 emissions Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. yeah it just seems from everything that I've read and and people that know about this subject that, that it's pretty inconclusive that you know we had something to do with it with the emissions but i'm not i'm no scientist my well my i i i think the the uh the 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 feeling is is that uh it's you know there's there's what the data show in terms of when the levels began to change and when our own activity began to uh change as well in terms Mm -hmm. of the the kinds of things we put on an industrial scale and, right. into yeah and these things are strong you know very closely correlated mm-hmm. um so it could be just an amazing coincidence mm. um uh and then there's the whole business of uh the pragmatic aspect of it which you know i think sometimes doesn't get said enough which is that well what you know what if just to be on the safe side, <laughs> you know, just, you know, uh, yeah. just, if, just, if there's a possibility, if there's it a possibility, yeah, <laughs> might as well, might as well just try and think about whether there are other ways of doing things. Sure. And there are other ways of doing things. And so maybe we should at least, even if we're not all 100% of us convinced, take uh, the safe option, just take the safe <laughs> option for the future of our species. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I'm just going to, I'm going to splice this out, but I want to just disconnect mm-hmm. this if you don't mind. If, I'm going to turn it up. So, um, I, I wanted to, to ask you about string theory. I think it's a fascinating uh, topic f- from what I understand of it, and that might not be a lot. So, um, when string theory, you have a particle that's stretched apart, um, and it becomes, it, it becomes a, uh, I guess if you're observing it like string, like in terms that it becomes elongated mm-hmm. and um, one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each individual part of that string vibrates at a different frequency. Is that accurate or no, not? Not quite. Um, uh, although I like, I like the picture that you had um, uh, immediately, which I thought was very nice, which is you can think of, a string as really being, a, a, you know, if you if you were to take a, a piece of paper and put a point down, um, 
uh, you could you could make a, a particle. But if you if you just drag that pencil along, it's like dragging that point along, and now you have a, 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 a what what you know if we're being technical would be a one dimensional extended object. You stretched it out in one direction, mm -hmm. and then that's a string. So the you know to start out with, you could just ask the question for. For, for many decades, uh, for over 100 years, we've been reducing, you know, in our understanding of what stuff is made of and what the, if you like, the fundamental constituents of everything are, we've been reducing them down to, to particles. We've been finding, ah, this, this is made of this, and you get smaller and smaller, and you have a bunch of particles. Which then, is, I'm sorry, yeah, but mm -hmm. is that the meaning of quantum? So quantum means the smallest part of something? Uh, no, not necessarily, although the two do get connected. But let me, let me come back to that. Sure, That's sorry. a great question. But um, uh, the, you, you could just sit down and ask yourself, well, why, why is nature organized that way? Uh, why is it necessary that if I keep going smaller and smaller, I, I get particles? Uh, and uh, you know, one logical possibility is that um, it isn't just one dimension, sorry, these zero dimensional objects, objects that have no extent in any directions, so that's a point. Um, uh, why did nature choose that? Maybe there are uh, these one dimensional objects, which is strings. And so if you just think about that in the abstract, it's a sort of question that you could have posed at any time in human history. And, uh, for reasons that we can go into, people have been investigating that question a lot more now, because when you do follow it, you, you find some interesting structures. So what sparked the interest now? Um, well, again, it, it depends upon um, it depends upon how you approach it. But one way of saying it is that we found that particles were not enough. Uh, uh, in in at least on the page, theoretically, trying to understand how to un explain certain phenomena in nature, uh, we found some of the things that had worked for particles for you know for decades were no longer working. And we were missing a fundamental ingredient. And um, so where we are now is that you could go, well, we just weren't looking hard enough. And, 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 there, and, and there is an approach out there that, that uses the particle-like approach. And we just haven't found it. Um, or you could go, we, you know, we realize that it isn't just particles. There's, there's other things that could be... Uh, part of the fundamental story as well, and that's when, and one of those things is string theory. So, but I should say we don't know yet because we're still working on it. It's still a theory. It's it's, it's still uh, a, a theoretical framework that requires testing with experiments. So, when you say that there's anomalies and things that are not adding up, so you're talking about gravity, Einstein's the, theory of gravity. Excellent. So that's one of the things. Um, the uh, the the quest to understand the quantum nature of gravity of space and time itself uh, runs into difficulties if you just use the techniques we've used to understand the quantum nature of other things. So this gets me now to uh, to to really to 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 answer your earlier question, which is what do I mean by quantum? And by quantum, I don't just mean. Uh, uh, um, particles in some in some vague sense there's a, there's a very very specific meaning of 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 quantum uh which uh for our purposes goes along the following lines 
when you try and understand, um, uh, on the one hand, what everything's made of, and on the other hand, um, how those things, how those constituents interact with each other. So you're understanding matter, and you're also understanding the forces by which that matter fits itself together. Okay. Um, the 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 picture that emerges after you know some decades of, of of work is that the quantum description of that whole thing is as follows: there are there are there are particles such as um, uh, electrons, which you're familiar with, uh, in, because electronics, you know, they move around in circuits, and we 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 we, we communicate and make TVs and things out of them. Um, so there's electrons and a whole bunch of other things that make up the atom. Mm-hmm. And those things hold themselves together with with three forces of nature. Uh, uh, one is called electromagnetism, which is uh, you know most in its most familiar form, it's light. Um, uh, but electricity is also um, part of that story. Um, and then there are two other forces which work at the nuclear level, called the strong and the weak nuclear force. But the key point in the quantum description is that it all fits together as follows. Those forces work by exchanging another kind of particle. Uh, And that is the sort of quantum description of how force works. So two electrons attract each other. So, well, they don't attract each other. uh, An electron, um, which is negatively charged, and a positively charged thing like the nucleus of an atom, they fit together because they're at the quantum level. They're exchanging another kind of particle that mediates the force of electromagnetism. So that that business, that quantum description is that there are forces that are mediated by particles, and then there are, as I said, uh, certain particles that are the stuff that make up... uh, our uh, uh, the matter that we see around us, and so you could ask whether gravity, which is another force, which everything interacts with, uh, whether gravity has that description as well. And so you imagine that there's a particle that gets exchanged at the quantum level that uh, would uh, be the th- quantum description of us sitting here in these chairs, as opposed to just floating around, not feeling the force of the Earth, and that fails. Uh, if you write down the kind of uh, uh, mathematics that you would need to describe that uh, at the quantum level, just like we do for the other forces and get it right, it fails for gravity. So the quantum description of gravity um, uh, fails if you use the sort of particle approach, uh, as far as we understand it. And you might go, well, why do I care? Um, uh, and that's because the very earliest, very earliest moments in the universe, for example, require us to understand what gravity was doing at the quantum level. And we, we want to know why we're here and why stuff is the way it is. And it leads you all the way back to the beginning of the universe. And there you find you need to understand what we call quantum gravity. And we don't. And so one of the things people realized in the... Um, very early days of this in the middle part of the last century was that it wasn't working and we might need a new approach. How do you test it? Uh, how do you test the string theory? Good. Right. So the question is, uh, what, um, what clues does it give you that you can make contact with, uh, with experiments? So, um, where we are right now is that, 
there's this remarkable framework that has been developed called string theory. One of the things it contains is a theory of quantum gravity. We actually uh, end up solving the problem of having a quantum description of gravity. Can I ask you a uh, question? Uh -huh. Can you explain what you mean by the, um, quantum gravity? Ah, well, well, yeah. um, well it, the, 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 a description of the force of gravity, mm -hmm. that interaction that things have because they have mass and they attract each other, mm -hmm. like the moon to, you know, uh, uh, staying in orbit around, uh, around the earth or okay. what have you. That's a force of nature. Right. And what we've learned uh, for all other forces of nature is that the quantum description of that is by um, uh, uh, exchanging uh, particles. And so you attempt to do that um, at the, uh, the same level in the same terms for gravity, and you find it doesn't work. Mm. Um, you write down what, a, you know, the technical terms are, you write down what's called a quantum field theory, and uh, it, uh, it, it, it turns out to be a very sick sort of uh, uh, mathematical object. So you need something new. I, I should say that's not the only way of describing what um, quantum gravity is, um, but that's, uh, that's sort of a first pass at how people thought about the problem in the, uh, in the, in the middle part of the last century. There's other ways of thinking about it, but it's still... Even with other definitions of what I would call quantum gravity, it's still uh, a, a hard problem to solve using the approaches that people have used to, to study other forces. And when I say the approaches that people have used to study other forces, I, I, I should mention that that is among the most spectacular achievements uh, in any field of science. Mm. Um, uh, our understanding of how um, uh, electrons that you know, we think are really important because they control all of our electronics, we build stuff out of it. Our understanding of how electrons operate with the quantum description of electromagnetism is so good that you can, you can calculate the properties of the electron to, to better than you know, 14 or 15 decimal places of accuracy. Wow. And then you can go out and you can measure that and confirm that uh, as, 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 uh, as, as, as Feynman pointed out some years ago, so it's probably even more accurate now, uh, it's equivalent to being able to calculate and test the results of your calculation um, so accurately. It's like being able to specify the distance between um, New York and Los Angeles to better than the width of a human hair. Wow. So that incredible. is an incredible achievement um, uh, to be able to describe nature quite so accurately. Um, and the question is, can we do the same things for other areas of nature that we, that we know are also important? And that's uh, uh, for gravity. So I'm giving you extremely long answers. No, I don't I, know whether I, that's good or bad. No, <laughs> I don't know great. whether you've lost our audience. No. But let me answer your question, which is how do you test it? Yes, please. And, the, and, and so the, you know, Regardless of what I'm going to say right now, the bottom line is we don't know yet because we don't know the theory well enough. Um, uh, what we have done, uh, and when I say we, I mean uh, people who work on this, who've been working on this for decades and shaped it. There are uh, hundreds, thousands of people who've worked on this. Um, 
uh, in this area and contributed marvelously to the field. So I say we in that broad sense of mm -hmm. the scientific community. Um, we uh, have found in string theory that it is a fantastic uh, 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 way in which to solve the problem of finding a, a theory of gravity that is, that is quantum in the sense that I just described. Mm -hmm. What we don't know is whether that's the theory of gravity that nature cares about. You know, it's entirely possible you could find this really cool mathematical description of how to describe gravity as, as, a, um, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, quantum exchange of particles in the way I just described. But then when you ask nature if that's the way nature does it, nature goes, well, actually, that's really nice, but I'm doing it this <laughs> other way. In other words, you could calculate something, um, uh, the strength of how two objects interact with each other quantum mechanically in some situation that maybe you could then go out and measure in an experiment and you could in principle get that wrong even if you do have a good quantum theory it's just not the one that nature uses so we're at the stage yet um, so far that unfortunately because the effects in quantum gravity are so weak because gravity itself is fundamentally a very weak force mm -hmm. compared to the others um, you can't build experiments uh, that are uh, accurate enough uh, sensitive enough to directly test the results of uh, of, a, of a quantum gravity uh, experiment. So we could wait around for us to develop extraordinary technology that'll do that maybe a thousand years from now. Or you could go, well, are there other things that we could see that we get right? And the great thing is that we have this other great giant experiment called the entire universe <laughs> sure. and so if you remember what i said is that it's very important to understand quantum gravity in the very early universe mm -hmm. and because whatever happened in those first few fractions of a second in the universe gave rise to everything that we see now so uh that leaves open the possibility then that when you build your, your favorite theory of quantum gravity, you apply it to some of those processes that were happening in the very early universe, and then you see what the consequences of your theory of quantum gravity would be for the observable universe today. Um, does that make sense? I believe um, so. It's, it's, uh, the analogy, I actually have a little bit of an analogy uh, that sort of works that I mentioned in my, in, in my book. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is, it's, it's, it's a little bit like um, you're cooking a stew, okay? Or you're tasting a stew. Someone made this stew and you're sitting and you're tasting it and it's mm -hmm. delicious. And it has all you know, this balance of flavor and these, these, these things in it that are really delicious in, in various uh, mixtures. And it's really great. And if you know, you know, if you cook, do you cook? Yes. Yeah. So you probably, uh, you're tasting this stew and you're probably already thinking how you would make that. How mm -hmm. would you get those flavors? Right. And and uh, and and you could, in principle, sit down and, 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 and figure out what the ingredients are just because of your experience, your knowledge of, 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 of making stews and how various flavors combine at various stages in the cooking and things like that. So um, but it wouldn't taste exactly the same. Well, the question is, how close could you get yeah. to, to tasting exactly the same or 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 
or you know if there is a particular thing you do at a certain stage that will have an impact on on a certain aspect of the flavor mm -hmm. so the universe is the stew in case you're wondering um, <laughs> the final unit you know the universe today that uh -huh. we observe in the sky is the stew um, all those cooking processes is all the stuff that happened to give rise to the universe today so the question is what were the ingredients um, and exactly how were they all cooked together in order to to give rise to the to to this wonderful stew, which is us and the stuff we see around us, and so um, continuing this tortured analogy, um, I would then say the business of testing out uh, uh, whether or not you've understood some aspect of how the forces of nature work at the quantum level in string theory or whatever your favorite theory is, mm -hmm. is to go well. Um, you 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 do the calculation that tells you what happened at the early universe as a result of it working the way you suggest it works. Mm -hmm. And then you see what consequences that would have for the, for the taste of the stew now. Um, that would mean, for example, that there are certain structures in the sky that uh, are, are put together in just this way as opposed to some other way. Mm -hmm. So then you work with your colleagues in astronomy to go look for those things. And if they're there that would be something maybe that you predicted that would suggest that your 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 theory your quantum gravity your string theory whatever is actually on the right track if they're not there that would be if you if you've done the calculations right that would be a way of ruling out what you've uh, what you suggested and saying well you're on the wrong track so that's in principle how you would test some of these these things that are difficult to test directly here on earth can i ask you what would be uh, the benefit to the human race if you found the perfect recipe how would that translate into advancements that we would make this is a very polite way of saying why do i care and yeah. uh, what's the cure for is this <laughs> right. going to get me a cure right. for cancer right. no that's yeah. fine that's but a fair I, question <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just trying to understand the um because it it's it sounds fascinating, but I'm wondering yeah. what the real world implications would be. The real world implications are uh, well. Let me let me let me let me say two things. One is um, this is a question that gets asked uh, um, uh, every now and again in every new era when we do when we do science, and uh, when we look back many years later, we go, "Oh my goodness, uh, you know, we would never have guessed that this." Uh, came about from this crazy thing that these people were doing. So the most famous example of this, which I'm sure you've probably heard, uh -huh. is, uh, do you know the Faraday example? Uh, yes. Right, yes. right. Where, you know, this, this guy is playing around with some wires yes. and making some things move and what have you. And, and the, uh, I, I guess it was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. This is in the UK. This is Faraday. Yeah. Um, one of the founders of uh, electricity and magnetism and asked, what, 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 what good is this? What good is this stuff you're building, right? The the um, you know the the chief financial officer of the government, uh, if you like, uh, and Faraday's response supposedly was, "I don't know what it's good for, but I'm sure you'll tax it one day, <laughs> right. right?" And that's basically all of electricity, all of our electromagnetic right. communication, all of that. So I'm not claiming that you know stuff we do in the string theory is going to one day um, run the economy a uh, hundred years from now. Uh, but uh, many things I can say are the following. One is we already have found in quest to understand uh, fundamental, I hate using that word, but it's the only one I can think of, 
answers to fundamental questions about how the world works, just questions for their own sake, have, has already given us marvelous things in terms of uh, spin-offs of technology and, and mathematical techniques that turn out to be useful. You know, there's so many things that we use in our everyday lives that uh, are, are ideas and techniques that, that were, were invented to do blue sky stuff and then retooled later on to, you know, give you better apps on your phone or, 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 or in some cases, uh, extend your health. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that isn't why we do this, um, because you never know what the spinoffs are. So the real, sp- the real uh, driving force is, why are we here? Why are things the way they are? These are great questions that we've always asked as a species that, that, that mean that we're not just, you know, stuffing food in our mouths and living mm. to the next day where we're asking the big why questions. And this is part of that quest, uh, the big why questions. Um, and, and, and understanding how the universe works is, is I, I, I would argue, one of the ultimate big why questions. And so it, it is really, um, first and foremost, uh, curiosity. Mm. And, you know, we've, you know, you've finished filling your belly, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've socked the beast over the head and, and fried it over the fire, and you're sitting there uh, uh, in the cave uh, <laughs> waiting till morning. Right. What do you think about when you look up at the stars? What are those things? Mm-hmm. What are they good for? Um, it's not going to help you uh, uh, slay the beast the next day any faster, but you want to know, and that's what this is. Um, when when there's a string, a particle that's extend ex, 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 extended, right? Is that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so? Where are these two points? Are they through dimensions? Where where's the a beginning point? And oh, that's a, such a great. You see, see, see. <laughs> that's such a great question. Okay, so uh, so first of all, um, you should uh, uh, be aware that there's two choices. One is that you have a string-like object, so this one-dimensional extended object. You have a string, and it really, it, just think of it as a piece of string you could buy in the hardware store. Mm-hmm. And um, and you have two options. One is that the string has ends. Um, and in the, in, the, in the trade, we call it an open string. Okay. But another option is that those ends meet each other, and it's what we would call a closed string, and it's just a loop. Okay. And it turns out that both kinds of string are important in string theory. But it's very interesting you ask, because for a long time, when people were working on string theory and going, oh, this is amazing, and it does all of these amazing things, mm. they just focused on the closed string theories, and, and the open string theories people were were kind of not really sure if they were good for anything. You could, you could play with them mathematically, but people didn't really know um, whether they were as, as promising as the other things. And, and it was as late as the, as the mid-90s when, when open strings uh, came back as, as part of the, of the story um, and, and, uh, and became just as important as, as closed strings. So the answer to your question is that um, open strings uh, do have their ends somewhere uh, in the right kinds of in, in, in depending on the context uh, the role of those ends uh, uh, can be can be uh, can be different in the original context in which they were invented those ends of the string actually look like particles to us 
So string theory actually first came about not with anything to do with gravity or, or any of this fancy stuff to do, you know, you hear about with string theory and multiverses and all that stuff. It came about because it was at the time the best shot we had at understanding the nuclear, the what's called the strong nuclear force, the stuff that holds the nucleus of atoms together. Okay. And uh, so people were aware that there were these particles that made up uh, the protons and neutrons inside the nucleus, which you maybe learn about in school, what have you. People began to go, oh, right, those are themselves made of these smaller things. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they look like... Um, they, they look like particles called quarks. Okay. And then people are going, well, how do the quarks interact with each other? And the force between quarks is weird compared to how it behaves between, say, electrons. The force of electromagnetism is very different from the strong nuclear force. And so people began to model what that kind of force looked like. And it, it, it felt that if you, it, it looked like if you, if, you, if you try and pull quarks apart... Um, the energy it took to to pull them apart was it felt a little bit like it was um, growing in a way that suggested that they were connected together by a string, huh. a string-like object, and so that was actually one of the places that string theory was born in trying to understand nuclear physics, and so so a model where you have particles in the theory, but the particles are actually connected by strings, um, uh, these open strings. Uh, is a part of the string theory story uh, in, in, in now even now in the context of all the stuff to do with gravity and what have you. Um, uh, now, you can have situations where that interior of the string uh, that connects those particles um, uh, isn't just lying in the uh, three spatial and one time dimension that we we're familiar with but somehow can feel other dimensions as well and that turns out to be a way of of actually discovering that particles have uh a lot more properties than just the 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 simple ones you might measure they sometimes have other what you would call degrees of freedom and sometimes those are endowed upon them simply by virtue of the fact that the string is seeing uh, higher dimensional geometry. What what are the other dimensions? So, well, and how mm-hmm. could you tell that it's moving in those? Well, in you, that free you, way? you 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 calculate, you work it out, uh, and and so it, it it turns out that um, the when you when you first write down the theory, uh, you you need to write down something that makes sense, um, and uh, so what do you usually do when you write down theories of, of nature? You go, you, you, put, you put all the things that we see in them. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, we're moving, we're moving in a certain number of dimensions, right? Three, three plus one, right? That, that seems a given, right? right? The three up and down, back and forth, front and back. Um, uh, uh, those, you know, those are the three directions you can move in to get anywhere in, uh, uh, in, 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 in the observable universe, it would seem, mm-hmm. and then there's time. So, so, so you have that three plus one dimensions that you build in, um, uh, and then you have different kinds of particles. So they have different kinds of properties. How fast is it moving in those dimensions? Uh, does it have uh, does it have spin or, or 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 not and things like that? So you put those things in, 
and you try and 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 you make it quantum mechanically consistent. So you use the rules of quantum mechanics that that you know show up uh, first showed up for very small things. Mm-hmm. You put that in and and you, and you mix it all up and make sure it works. That's it. That's sort of a mathematical thing that is sort of the, one of the first things you do when you go to graduate school to to understand how how nature works uh, at that level. So when you do the same thing, but now instead of putting in particles, you put in strings, you find something very interesting, which is that the strings go, well, actually, I'm not going to make sense unless you change uh, one thing on the page that you, you put in by hand, and that was the number of dimensions. So for the first time in history, we found that if you ask a part, of, if you ask an object to be quantum mechanically consistent to... to uh, to, to be consistent with relativity, you know, two things we know are true things of nature. Uh, uh, it comes back and says, well, I'm not actually going to work um, uh, unless I also get to tell you what dimension of space-time I'm propagating in. And that, and that, that had never happened before. Normally, you can, you can write down different theories of different kinds of particles in, in different dimensions, just as a game, and, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll work in various dimensions. And string theory seem to be suggesting that it actually needs to have more dimensions than we actually observe. And so your first thought would be, well, clearly then that's a good sign to say it's wrong. Um, but then people began to go, oh, wait a minute. Well, how do we know we actually only live in three plus one dimensions? And then when you realize that um, there are ways in which you could be living in more dimensions than you uh, than you sort of measure in everyday life, uh, you begin to take seriously the possibility that um, maybe theories that use other dimensions have a role to play in our description of our three dimensions that we do see. So that, that's sort of uh, uh, historically how we got here. So again, I, I have to say, that could just turn out all to be wrong, and one day we'll find you know, some other description that only uses... Uh, three plus one dimensions, but then you get to ask the question: Well, why do we live in three mm. plus one dimensions? That ought to be a question that has an answer as much as as much as you know why 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 is the universe it way is you know why are there as many stars as there are? Why are there galaxies of the shapes that we see? Why do we have three plus one dimensions and not four plus one? So once you realize that that's a variable that you get to ask questions about, which is a question that people hadn't even thought of asking before, Mm -hmm. uh, you then get to investigate theories that allow that to be a variable. And string theory is one of those kinds of theories. Does that that make sense? I think so. So these Uh other dimensions are... We just can't perceive them if they exist. Well, so there are a number of different ways you could be moving. You could be moving in uh, more dimension. Uh, sorry, you could be in a universe that has more dimensions than you're moving in. Okay? okay, one is that you could be made of material that only uh, uh, that 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 can only move in a certain number of dimensions by by, by virtue of what it is. Uh, you know its material properties, um, but there's other material that can move in other in in, in other dimensions. Um, that sounds just arcane and almost like I've turned the whole thing on its head and made a tautology. But let me give you an example. Um, I could um, I could take a 
I'm just looking over at your, your the monitor of your your computer screen, mm-hmm. and I could take a drop of water, and I could just I won't do it. Don't Please worry. don't. And just I, I could just flip it onto the screen. Right. Okay. Um, now that 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 drop of water, um, due to uh, just the properties of water the dryness of the, sc- the screen elsewhere and what have you will stick to the screen right. and it'll, it'll run along the screen in various ways, but it won't jump off the screen sideways. It's actually stuck to it due to something called surface tension. Okay. Okay. So at least for that physical situation, the world of that drop of water is not the three-dimensional world of this room. It, it, it's actually two-dimensional. Okay. Um, it's, for, for various physical reasons of that situation, it is stuck to moving on that that that, that two-dimensional surface. Right. So at least for describing some of the physics of that drop of water and maybe another drop of water that's going to interact with it as, as they run down the screen, I don't need to worry about this, this, the dimension coming, corresponding to coming off the screen. It's just not relevant. Right. It's not going to fly off it's the screen. It's not going to fly off the screen. Um, and, and so, that we know of. Uh, that we know of. <laughs> or if it does, there'll be some other thing, right. that, some other situation that we... That we that we created in order for it to come off the screen. Mm-hmm. So the analogy is, is that we're like those drops of water. Um, by virtue of the, the setup of the physics, we're stuck on this screen, which is three-dimensional now. Mm-hmm. And there, there could be a sideways direction, which we just can't conceive of because we're not made of the stuff that could go that, could go that, that way. Go that way um, yeah. but, we can, we, but we could play with it as a mathematical possibility. And then the coming off, you know, then, you know, you moving up to the screen and blowing and, and then it sort of splashes off. That would be like doing an experiment that uh, with enough energy could actually pull us off that screen or, or pull something off into the higher dimensions that we could then measure its effects of. So people do think about experiments that could, if, if uh, higher dimensions exist, um, how would you actually probe them experimentally in, ex- in in real experiments? And one of them is to is to is to come up either with an interaction with particles that live in those higher dimensions, or or maybe to do uh, an experiment of the right energy at which you see that that sideways motion, uh, which you don't see it because you're not looking at high enough energy. It depends upon the scenario. One of the problems we have right now with string theory is that it is so rich in terms of the, the, the physics that we see in it that there are many, many ways of reducing it down to what we would see uh, you know, in, in, in our everyday physics. Um, in other words, the, the, the theory is that it's most, um, it's, it's, it's most alive when, it's, when, when, when you're working at uh, uh, much higher energy scales than we probe every day. Um, and so part of the story is how do you take this, 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 this theory, if it's true, and, and recreate our observable world? So you, you, you look at you know, what would be called low energy, which is where we, uh, our everyday physics is. But it turns out there are many, many different ways of finding low energy physics that looks like you and me sitting here uh, chatting. Um, uh, there are many, many different ways of doing that. And, and uh, so all those different scenarios are very difficult to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one of the reasons it's so difficult to so far um 
come to grips with whether it's right or wrong because we, we need better understanding of how all those different ways of reproducing our universe within string theory um, uh, can be explored um, to see which one is correct or maybe maybe explore them to see whether you can at least get qualitative understanding of whether it's right or wrong. So, so enumerating all those possibilities um, of, you know, whether or not these extra dimensions are uh, have this particular shape, whether they're like a screen inside a larger room, as I just described, you know, like a, the surface of a tabletop, or whether they're curled up. Another possibility is that they are they are they are um, curled up in 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 very small uh, uh, at very small distance scales, which you mm -hmm. then need to explore perhaps with uh, high energy. Uh, 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 particle accelerators and things like that. So, so there's a lot to explore. Um, it, I'm aware it sounds completely arcane. <laughs> it's, uh, would it be something like a wormhole? No, that, that's a very different. Um, that's a very different kind of thing. Um, but, I'm just envisioning mm -hmm. like, like walking through the room and then disappearing into some other, you know, realm that. Would mm -hmm. be. I, I'm. My mind is mm -hmm. kind of. I'm just envisioning uh, the possibilities. <laughs> no, no. That that's um, great. That's that, yeah. that's where a lot of this uh, begins. You you envision possibilities. Wormholes um, do not need you to uh, to appeal to higher dimensions. Um, uh, although I, although you can have wormholes that connect uh, uh, using um, higher dimensions or connect hyperplanes that live in in in. Uh, in 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 uh in a higher dimension but it isn't necessary uh if is what i mean i think uh, so yeah. uh, but wormholes though are just theory that that's not a proven wormholes you can write down solutions of so our best theory of gravity is 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 uh, uh einstein's theory of general relativity and there are some equations that describe it einstein's theory of general relativity and you can write solutions of those equations which correspond to uh, thing, the wormholes. Um, and uh, so you could ask whether those things are real. And it seems that the solutions, as far as we understand them, are problematic in the sense that the kinds of matter that you need to hold them open in order for you to walk through them or drive a spaceship through them or what yeah. have you, the kind of matter that you need does not seem to exist in our universe. Mm -hmm. um, so whether that means we haven't found it yet or 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 um or it doesn't exist at all mm. uh is still an open question but it, it seems that uh uh wormholes if you were able to make them produce the potential for a number of uh physical paradoxes uh which which uh, make it suggestive that maybe you can't make them um, but that's not a proof. Okay. Does that makes sense? I believe so. I, um, the reason why... Yeah. Oh, yeah, let me put it a different way. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are well-known paradoxes associated with time traveling into the past, right? The most famous being, you know, the so-called grandfather paradox, right? Right. I could, I, could, uh, I could build a time machine. I could go back into the past. I could find some ancestor of mine for some reasons usually identified as the grandfather. I could you know, by, by fair means or foul, stop them from 
having any descendants, then you including me, and then I wouldn't have existed to go back. Right. So that, that seems to be a, an obvious kind of paradox that time traveling into the past can give you, unless there are additional rules we don't know about, which is, mm. yeah. But, but all of those paradoxes you buy if you can create wormholes, because if you can make a wormhole, it turns out you can engineer it to go back into the past. So uh, it's wormhole. Uh, uh, constructing wormholes immediately allows you to construct time machines. It turns out. Well, but it's um, it, it it's not. We're not sure if that's even a, a possibility. But we would just need more energy than we could possibly. Not only do you need more energy, there are fundamental uh, logical inconsistencies that you would have to surmount. Um, so usually when you see logical inconsistencies, it means you don't, uh, uh, it can mean one of two things. It means that the thing you're suggesting is not physically possible because right. the universe seems to be logically consistent. Otherwise, you know, just, it would just be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, or it means that there's further things that need to be understood. So I think uh, keeping open-minded, people usually uh, keep both of these possibilities in mind. Either you can't time travel into the past because of the grandfather paradox, or there are mechanisms that would say, yes, you can time travel into the past, but if you try and do something that would stop you from having invented the time machine and going back in the first, in the first place, place, nature yeah. finds a way of stopping you. You know, the, the original writing on time travel, the famous, uh, uh, the, the, the time machine by H.G. Wells, Wells yeah. immediately uh, uh, played with, with that whole thing. If you remember, I don't know if you've ever read it. I've but, read it, right. it was a, long, it was yeah. a while ago. Uh, he already starts playing with the idea that, you, you know, the thing you keep trying to go back to change, mm. nature keeps finding a way of stopping you from making that change. Maybe that's what happens. Um, but you were asking about higher dimensions and then we got to wormholes. Well, I, and, I guess and, what yeah. I was trying to yeah. rationalize or think of in my mind is when you say higher dimensions, I, I figure it's like a gateway or a door that we can't see. Ultimately, you're going, you're moving in a direction that we can't fathom. Yeah. And, but uh, that's why I was asking about wormholes because mm. in my mind, my simple mind, that, that was another way of going through a, uh, yeah. a, a door that we previously didn't know existed. Yeah. And, but it seems like wormholes, you're kind of dynamiting a hole through space time, <laughs> sort of, and, and barge and, uh, but that, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you've got to take us on a tangent, but that's yeah. why I, I, I jumped to wormholes. Yeah. Wormholes, uh, you can think of it more as a, as a shortcut. Uh, in existing space um, to get to to make a connection between here and a distant part of the universe um, uh, without having to go the long way mm. um, and uh, so like I said you that doesn't necessarily mean that you've 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 gone through a higher dimension or what have you it just means that the space is connected up in a way that isn't as simple as you as you would have thought mm. that there's sort of their secret tunnels as it were um, but what I'm saying is is that wormholes uh, open up a whole other set of problems that we have not yet understood uh, wh how to solve because if you can make a wormhole uh, you can um, actually, there's well. In an, uh, another time, I'll tell you how you can engineer a wormhole into a time machine that can go backwards in time. So, uh, 
I would love uh, to hear uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone would love to hear that. But, well, well, I, I, I do worry we are getting off track, though, because uh, the dimension thing, uh, I, I, you know, I, I want to make it clear that it isn't, as, it isn't as hard to visualize as I think people often um, think it is and sort of, sort of end up decoupling. The, the screen example was very much... Um, was 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 very much on point and another way of thinking about it i'm just looking down at the desk here and i have a uh, a, a notebook and, and you have all these pages on the notebook and on the surface of each of those pages could be like our universe of one of those pages could be like our universe okay and um and we move on the surface of that page for whatever reason, because we're made of stuff that can only move on the surface of that page. Mm -hmm. uh, it owes its existence to being on the page, as it were. And you could even have other universes that are the other pages. But then there's another direction you can move, right? Which is that you can hop from page to page, just like moving sideways. Mm. And that would, be move, that, would be, that would be using another dimension to move between universes. Mm. Does that make sense? Does that geometrically? I, I believe. So I, you, you basically take all of that and you, you, you scale it up. You go, okay, you go from the two dimensions of that page to the right. three dimensions of our world. And don't worry that you can't now draw the picture because nobody can. Um, so uh, when you say yeah. another universe, does that tie into the multi-universe theory? That's one way of realizing um, that if you have extra room... Yeah, <laughs> like an extra dimension, you can have uh, you can have uh, you, you, room to put other universes that are as uh, are, are similar to ours but different, perhaps. Was that Hawking's theory or no? Uh, really? Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad you raised that. Um, the there there's been um, and, and this isn't anything to do with Hawking's unfortunate passing, uh, but there has been. Uh, uh, quite a bit of attributing things to Hawking uh, that uh, he uh, did not um, uh, come up with, although he may have, you know, he may have worked on it. So, so, you know, the other day uh, I was talking with a, with a student, um, uh, a young student who, who, who thought Hawking invented black holes, for example, and apparently a lot of people think that. Oh. No, he's done amazing things with his work on black holes, but black holes... Or an idea that go back to the uh, 18th century, mm. actually. Um, so, wow. uh, um, but we're off track. Hawking did not invent the multiverse, um, uh, although he has done some important work and developed lots of important techniques that help us understand how to describe the multiverse. Is there evidence that points to a multiverse? Um, no. Okay, not no. at this time. So it's a theory. Uh, not if you mean uh, experimental evidence. Okay. Uh, observational evidence. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not aware of anyone who is a, you know, professional, credentialed, credible, uh, physicist who would say that we have yet anything like evidence for there being, uh, uh, universes other than ours. Um, there are, however, people who are open to the possibility, um, for very, very good reasons, um, uh, the most simple reason is uh, one that you can come up with yourself as, uh, you know, as an untrained physicist, which is, which is just following how uh, the history of our understanding of the world 
right? Uh, uh, not so long ago, we thought that the entire universe was pretty much just the Earth at the center of the universe, and there are all these things going around it, and we were the most important thing in the universe, and blah, 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 mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, little, little smudges in the sky. And, and then, uh, you know, the perspective changed, and then, oh, okay, after some considerable work, uh, uh, the sun was the center of the universe, and the planets were going around it, and, and, and that, was, that was our universe, mm -hmm. right? And we got, actually, to, to modern times, and by modern times I mean the turn of the 20th century, we were well into the 20th century when we thought that the entire universe was pretty much... Um, uh, what we now call the Milky Way galaxy. So we were pretty sophisticated, right? We had the understanding that we have our solar system, we have our planets that go around the solar system, there were other stars, they probably have, at the time they didn't know this, but they probably have planets too, and there are lots and lots of these stars, and they make up the thing called the galaxy. And that was, until... Um, the early part of the 20th century, that was the universe. And we were pretty sophisticated, right? We were, we were flying. We were, uh, unfortunately, coming up with very sophisticated ways of killing each other. Yeah. In, in, uh, right, so, so we were already pretty sophisticated. Only in the last hundred years did we realize that um, our galaxy, uh, this, this collection of stars uh, that we call the galaxy, um, is just one of many, 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 many galaxies. The universe multiplied in size uh, enormous. Uh, uh, in, in, in our perception because of discovery made just near here, by the way. It's one of the great uh, contributions of Southern California to, to human history. Right? On a mountain not far from here called Mount Wilson, mm. um, that was where the observations were made. You can actually go and see the telescope. Oh, there. Wow. You can even visit the telescope. Uh, you can book time on the telescope. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Hubble um, uh, uh, was the one who, 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 using the observations and techniques of many others, uh, discovered this. And our universe changed. I mean, our universe is just fine, but our universe in terms right. of our perception of How what we it has changed. Yeah. So is it that much of a stretch to go from that to go, well, given how many times we've changed what we thought our universe is, is it that much of a stretch to go, well, maybe there's more mm. than just this? Um, so so that's one way of, of, of getting to the 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 idea that maybe the thing we think of as the universe could be uh just one of more of that sort of thing but it turns out there are actually extremely uh uh suggestive things from work done back in that whole quantum gravity stuff i was talking about um and also when you start trying to understand the very early universe and the mechanisms that gave rise to our universe now, mm -hmm. the theories that seem to work best contain not just one solution representing our universe, they seem to contain other solutions as well. They seem to contain not just other solutions, but the mechanisms by which those other universes could also have been generated, not just ours. So that doesn't mean they had to be, um, it doesn't mean we fully understand the story, but there are people thinking that maybe uh, the mechanisms that give rise to our universe just continue going and give rise to other universes too, and they're out there. 
is that uh, in that theory so then there's an infinite number of universes with all slight nuances right so that would then be the next question which is that are they all the same are they different are they radically different what are the conditions and if you change because because uh, sorry let me take a step back that that whole business of asking you know why are things they the way they are which is really as i said all this is right um all this endeavor is is why are things the way they are why are they not some other way um you can actually play that game pragmatically you can write down the 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 theory of all the things we understand so far on a piece of paper or you know largish piece of paper and uh, including the various parameters that we go out and measure and you could go well what would happen if i change one of these parameters what if this was different what if the mass of this particular fundamental particle was different or something like that? The strength of gravity was greater or weaker, what have you. How would the universe be different? Would we be here? Would galaxies form? Would they form in different ways? Um, uh, would, would life form in, in, in the way uh, that, it, that it formed? Would it form in other ways? So you can ask those questions. And maybe actually uh, those, you know, the universe is actually already doing the job of answering those questions because it's generating sorry, the multiverse, because it's generating different uh, universes with different parameters. Some of them produce universes that look very much like ours. Some of them are radically different mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. We happen to be in this one and here we are asking, you know, why it is the way it is. Um, now, that's all very, very speculative. None of this has anything to do with um, direct observations. No one has you know, built a thing that can show there's this other universe out there, um, either connected by a higher dimension or some other mechanism. No one knows. But um, examining the possibility is, is our job. And that's what we do, because sometimes it helps you understand your own universe better uh, by trying to understand uh, the possibility of other universes. And uh, what that has meant is that people are also constructing scenarios in which the parameters of our universe uh, in order to understand them you need to uh, have other universes existing in mm. some sense so that's a possibility people are beginning to explore well have been exploring for some time but there's been quite a, a recent effort in revisiting some of those ideas it's very controversial some people are very uncomfortable with it mm. and i think that's okay that's that that's that's what it means to do exciting science Mm, that's fascinating. Um, how does dark dark matter play into this? Oh, hugely. Yeah. Hugely. Uh, can you explain? Is it dark matter or dark energy? Are those two separate things? Two separate things. Okay. Both very important. Um, yeah. it, we can't measure dark matter. Oh, yes, we can. Oh, we can. It's dark yeah. energy that we can't... No, we can measure them both. Oh, we can measure them uh, both. With a, with, a, with a suitably generous uh, definition of what you mean by measure. Um uh what i think you are getting at is that we have not yet identified what they are which is which is not the same as not being able to measure them right so that, you can't yeah. collect it though and observe it right oh, okay exactly okay um uh so let me give you an analogy uh you're trying to get to sleep and someone in the next apartment is uh, is is having a party right and it's loud mm -hmm. and so there's noise from that party now you can't look through the walls 
Uh, but you're pretty sure there's a party next door because you can hear all that stuff, <laughs> right? right? Uh, it sounds like a party. Mm-hmm. You've heard parties before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You've had your own parties, <laughs> right? Um, sure. But the details of who's at that party, what their names are, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, who brought that particular mixtape, all that stuff you don't <laughs> right. know. But okay. it, it, but it's in principle discoverable information. Mm-hmm. Because you might need to, you might need that in your report to the to the police when you call to say that's crazy, not right. <laughs> but you you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. You can measure the presence of that party, even though you cannot identify exactly what all the all constituents the details are. are. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. So the, the and, and so dark matter. So dark matter is the following. So the party is um, the noise from the party is gravity. Everything that has mass and energy uh, has an effect gravitationally uh, on on everything else. Okay, so what you can do is you can look uh, out, and again, some of the early observations of this were, were done uh, up on Mount Wilson, and, but also lots of other telescopes. You can actually start looking at um, uh, how stuff moves uh, and see uh, that in some cases it's not moving in the right way. Uh, given what it should be doing, given g- g- given the amount of mass that you can see and by mass that you can see i mean stars typically so you're looking out the stuff that glows okay gives off light that we can see with our telescopes so you see a bunch of stuff moving other stars clusters of stars entire galaxies entire clusters of galaxies moving in ways that suggest that there's more mass there than is actually lighting up so that's the sound of the party it's telling you that there are effects there that you can measure um because you understand um, how stuff is supposed to move. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the question is, what is that stuff that you can't see? Right. And so you could go, well, what are the possibilities? And then you realize, and again, it's just the same story as I had before. The stuff we take for granted, you suddenly realize we had no business taking that for granted. So um, uh, that everything need be reduced to points as opposed to strings or something else that the number of dimensions of space-time is three plus one stuff that we take for granted that we actually don't have any you know reason to other than that's just the way it's always been so again you go well there's a whole bunch of stuff that in principle could be there that just isn't glowing why does all matter have to glow and now by glow i mean light up like stars um but it turns out it means a lot more than that. Uh, it means why does all why does all matter have to interact with um, uh, the rest of matter in the way that we're accustomed to it? To there could be uh, other kinds of matter that don't interact very well with um, uh, the forces of nature that we're familiar with, except gravity, because gravity is universal. And so it would affect everything we see. If there was enough of it, its mass would affect all that stuff, but we wouldn't be able to image it directly. And so that's the dark matter problem. What is that stuff? Is it just, you know, grains of sand um, that don't light up because why would, because it's not, you know, it's not compressed enough like a star to glow. Right. Um, or is it something more exotic than that? And uh, uh, people thought, well, maybe it's like, lots of Jupiters, right? Those are very big blobs of matter that aren't quite massive enough to turn into stars, but um, there could just, you know, be lots of those 
that we missed. But actually, you realize pretty quickly that if they were big blobs like Jupiter, we'd see them pass in front of stars, even though they themselves are not glowing. So you can rule out a lot of scenarios um, uh, involving ordinary matter uh, that hasn't lit, not, lit up um, because of uh, there are ways of ruling it out along the lines I just said. And after many, many decades of working on it, people have concluded that it's most likely that dark matter is just matter in a form that we have not yet discovered. <clears throat> Maybe some new kind of particle or, um, or something more exotic. Um, but again, you go, why do I care? Um, well, it turns out there's a lot more dark matter than there is um, ordinary matter. Um, so a huge amount of the energy budget of our universe is this unknown stuff. So if we're going to claim we understand the universe, we really should get our act together and figure out what that unknown stuff is. And then dark energy, it's the same story. It's, it's in some ways even worse in that it is, uh, it is a, it's not a form of matter. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a form of, uh, it's a phenomenon that is contributing to the, uh, expansion of our universe um, accelerating instead of slowing down as as we previously thought it would and if and if you work out the energy uh, that uh, associated with that effect and and uh, and use equals mc squared to turn all of this whether it be mass or energy into the energy budget of the universe it turns out that that is um, uh, uh, by far the dominant uh, thing in our universe. It's more than 70% of the energy budget of our universe. So what I'm saying is that uh, forgetting about multiverses and string theory and all of that stuff, there are some really, really very important questions about our universe so far that we still don't understand. And one of those is what its basic constituents are. The stuff we're made of right. and the kinds of matter we're made of turns out only to be a relatively small percentage. That's fascinating. <laughs> that really, um, and there's no, uh, obviously, no way at this time or for the foreseeable future to to observe that in a in a new way and to 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 get a better grasp of what it actually is. I would say quite a contrary. One of the great things you you, you began uh, uh, our chat by saying we're we're in an exciting time scientifically, right? And uh, so I would say actually the opposite, which okay. is that. There are many, many ideas um, and many, many different kinds of people working on the ideas. So that's healthy and exciting. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, there are many, many ways of testing these ideas. And we're getting better and better at testing these ideas. And so uh, let me give you a, 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 a set of examples of uh, what's going on uh, to tackle these problems. So you can come up with ideas about what dark matter could be. And it might be that for whatever reason, you're working on your favorite model of the universe and out pops the suggestion in your favorite model that there's this kind of particle that doesn't interact with the other forces in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in a significant way, uh, and, uh, but could be produced in copious amounts perhaps in the early universe or something like that. That would be a candidate particle for being the dark matter because it would be there's lots of it 
and doesn't interact much, so we won't really see it, but mm -hmm. we'd see its gravitational effects. So you can then characterize what that particle might be doing and ask your colleagues in, uh, who are designing experiments to look for dark matter, to look for signatures of your um, of you know of the kind of model that you came up with. So so there's a lot of that going on. People are doing direct dark matter searches, is the fancy term. They're building experiments that could look for um, the the relatively rare interactions that that dark matter would have with ordinary matter, and that could show up in in various kinds of experiments. Um, there are more exotic things going on where people are trying to. Um, uh, uh, come up with other scenarios for what dark matter might be instead of it being new kinds of particles. Maybe it's completely different ways in which space and time operate on certain scales. Okay. And, and, and so those are sort of exciting approaches as well. But it's a very healthy time because there's lots of... What, 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 when things are bad, it's when there are no good ideas and no way of testing mm. any ideas. But we're in the opposite situation. There's lots of good ideas and multiple ways of testing them. So I, I think that will help us understand things a lot better. Might not give us the answer anytime soon, um, although it could. Um, but it, it certainly helps. Uh, 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 you know, there's, there's a lot of very exciting stuff to do, and we're learning stuff from it. Mm. For dark energy, same thing. So um, uh, the favorite candidate um, that was suggested very early on for what dark energy could be is that um, it's something called the cosmological constant, which is that the, the space and time itself has an energy associated with it that we, we previously thought um, was, was zero, but in fact is some uh, you know, measurable amount, uh, it would seem. And uh, so that it becomes an urgency for us to understand theories that have cosmological constant, as it's called. Um, uh, but it also means that you get to ask, what would the effects be of um, uh, the presence of cosmological constant in, in, uh, in cosmological observations people are making? Mm -hmm. uh, so you can rule in or out whether it is cosmological constant by doing much more careful observations. So there's huge amounts of um, uh, experiments and observations, new kinds of telescopes, new kinds of balloons that, that do, do measurements of the very earliest radiation from the universe when it was uh, still very young, um, that'll do very careful measurements that'll help constrain what dark energy can be. And so again, an exciting time mm -hmm. to be able to do those measurements and, and say, yes, it's that, or no, it's not that. That's very exciting. Yeah, it sounds like there is progress being made. Yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah that it, it is very optimistic. Yeah, yeah. well, it's also, it's also true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, people are building these experiments. Uh, a lot of it's, uh, you know, uh, various um, countries around the world collaborate and, 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 and put funds to do this. Uh, our, our, own, our own government uh, does, you know, does that, which is great. We, we pay taxes to contribute uh, to that effort, which is very important. Um, there's also been a lot of funds uh, from the private sector, uh, which has been great. Um, which is well. now, are you talking, are you referring to NASA or are you referring to other things? Well, NASA, the Department of Energy, the National Science Foundation, all, all of these uh, kinds of agencies um, uh, uh, contribute. Um, uh, but then they're also, um, uh, uh, they're also, uh, of course, 
other agencies in other countries like the European Space Agency, etc. Um, but then as, as I was saying, for example, one of the big uh, pushes right now on the cosmological stuff uh, comes from the Simons Foundation. And uh, there's, a, there's a huge collaboration, multi-university collaboration. Did I say multi-universe? Multi-university collaboration, which is entirely privately funded, in collab in but in concert with um, federal funds to to help to help collaborate on uh, answering some of these questions by building new kinds of technological uh, probes of uh, of of the astrophysics. So it's an exciting time to be um, part of science. And we haven't even talked about gravitational waves and colliding black holes, which is another awesome thing that uh, is going on. I would like, I, uh, I just <laughs> want to do a quick time check with you. We're running at oh. about one and, uh, one and a half hours. Well, Are you all right on time? I, I, l- l- we probably just, just so we don't lose um, uh, uh uh, even more of uh, the audience that we lost when we started talking about <laughs> higher dimensions, we probably shouldn't go on for much longer. But I can I can tell you a little bit about what's going on there because that's hugely exciting. Um, if you want, are, are you talking about black holes yeah. colliding? Yeah. Uh, does that create gold? Um, oh, oh, very good. Uh, uh, or no? Uh, a a related set of things colliding does do that. Okay. Yes. yes. You want to hear about very, that? Um, I. Would love to hear about that, and I want to hear about the black holes right. slide too. And I had a question: uh, What would happen if you put a Tesla in a in a black hole? <laughs> well, uh, depending on uh, depending on the the the. Uh, well, okay, I could give a I could give a facetious <laughs> answer, uh, because the Tesla actually is is uh, is uh, is uh, the unit of. Uh, Measurement of the strength of a magnetic field. Okay, <laughs> so I could give I could give so him that multiple answer. meanings. Um, but yeah, um, but you're probably asking about the car, um, uh, and and for my answer really doesn't depend upon which which model. Um, uh, you know, for 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 uh, for the kind of black hole you're thinking of, it would it would uh, it would it would be badly um, badly destroyed and would disappear fairly rapidly. Um. <laughs> um. So what what does happen? What you you just you expand to the point where you just disappear? You, that your body's just pulled in every direction? Oh oh oh! Falling into a black hole. Um, well, um, from the point of view of someone falling into the black hole, if we talk about say a black hole that formed from stellar collapse, so it's it's sort of uh, it's you know it's it, it, you know it's it, it, let's say it's the size of let's say it's the size of uh, um, uh, uh, a, f- a few tens the, the size of our sun, say, um, uh, then you would have what are called extreme tidal forces very close to the, the, the if you like, the surface of the black hole, mm-hmm. such that um, the strength of gravity on um, the part of the thing that's closer to the black hole is much stronger than the strength of gravity uh, on the part of that same thing a little further away. So if you imagine the front of the car falling in first, it's being pulled on um, uh, much more uh, extremely at the front than it is at the back. Okay. So that would mean it actually stretches it. And so that, that famous thing that you hear about that happens with black holes, which has sometimes been called spaghettification, where stuff gets extruded out and stretched. 
Does it turn uh, it into falls strings? Into the black hole. Does it turn into strings? Very good. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, I should write that down. Um, <laughs> um, that is because uh, of the extreme uh, uh, gravitational differential that happens near near those black holes. Mm. But you know, a lot of uh, basically, uh, typically, what happens to matter near black holes is that it, under, it undergoes extreme disruption. Um, and so, as happens with any matter, when you when you beat it up enough, it begins to radiate. Okay. So what would happen is that 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 uh, that that stuff would begin to get destroyed and would and would join the probably already uh, already uh, glowing bunch of debris called the accretion disk that's already falling into the black hole. Mm. So a lot of black holes that we know exist in the universe uh, exist not because we see the black hole itself, because light isn't escaping but because of the destruction it does to its neighboring star or other matter that's near it mm. and uh it tends to make that stuff get disrupted it squeezes it and it begins to glow uh in in uh in uh, electromagnetic radiation we see these these uh these clear signals of that sort of thing so the the tesla would become part of that story. Yeah. <laughs> and in the uh cosmic junkyard around the Right, black hole, sort of. Indeed, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, and, and slowly spiral in uh, um, over over time. Um, it, it, you know, the the one of the things we've that's been marvelous about black holes, um, and it, it's it's something that interests me a lot in my own research is is that we we are seeing that they are definitely real things in the universe mm-hmm. that 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 come in in a wide number of varieties. So uh, there are the black holes I just talked about, which are you know. Uh, which form from collapsing stars, um, not 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 so much bigger than than our sun, say um, a few tens the size of our sun collapsing. A lot of that matter gets blown away, and then you end up with a what's called a stellar mass black hole. Um, but there are also uh, uh, extreme uh, uh, black holes in the other extreme, what are called supermassive black holes, mm-hmm. um, which are. Um, millions sometimes hundreds of millions the size of the mass of uh, of, of of a star like our sun wow. and those are huge those exist in the cores of galaxies it's I now understood that those, that, yeah. those yeah it's so now that's understood the that those those are those are typically at the galactic center of uh, of, of most galaxies wow and and play a crucial role in 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 the evolution and dynamics of those galaxies, um, the, the roles which are still being worked out in in very active research today. So black holes sound like these these horrible beasts of destruction and are often presented that way, but in some ways it it might be that they are crucial Keeping to creating balance. yeah the place that enables us to appear, which is which is galaxies, uh, which is kind of cool. That is really yeah. cool. Um, I didn't I mean to uh, segue into something else. No. So two black holes, if they, how would they collide? Ah, well, that's great. So, so, so um, that was the that was the thing that. Uh, uh, let me take a step back. Um, you can imagine scenarios in which a black hole forms due to stellar collapse. I mean, typically, what happens? Uh, a black hole is an extremely natural thing, and, and again, this was realized. So it wasn't invented by Hawking. It was actually realized um, hundreds of years before, um, uh, before we understood much about what we considered modern physics. But someone came up with an idea. This was a guy called Mitchell, uh, John Mitchell. Um, and he, he, he realized that you could 
have so much mass in a, in a small space so that um, the speed you would need to get to in order to escape from that mass. You know, in the same way, when you watch, that, 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 let's go back to Tesla, when you watch Elon Musk's uh, company launching some new fancy rocket mm-hmm. off, right? And it's exciting, what have you. That rocket, actually, uh, you may know, has to get up to a certain speed if it's going to leave the Earth's, um, uh, the, the, you know, it's going to get into orbit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's called the escape velocity. Okay. So depending upon the mass of an object... Uh, that you're sitting on, um, uh, uh, the escape velocity uh, is is uh, is different, and the more mass there is compressed into that that object, um, the higher that escape velocity is. And Mitchell realized, well, what if that escape velocity was the velocity of light or greater? Then you wouldn't see it because light couldn't escape, mm-hmm. and and thus was born the idea of a black hole. So um, uh, the, the, the issue is, can nature do this? And then people realize when we understood nuclear physics very well, and we understood how stars burn, yeah. um, and where stars get their fuel from to give all that light they give, like our sun, people realize, well, at some point that stops. And you can have a situation where you have a star which has all of this um, nuclear burning going on, but then it runs out of, it runs out of the fuel that, that, that supports that... Um, that, that burning. And that's, that burning also supports the star from just collapsing under its own gravity. So it runs out of fuel. It, it's not burning at the rate it needs to stop itself from collapsing. So it collapses. And so you can end up with that situation where you end up having all of that mass in a small space because it collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then the escape velocity gets uh, higher than uh, the speed of light. You have yourself a black hole. So black holes forming as, as, as the natural end state of some stars it turns out to be a very natural thing. Now, it turns out that a very natural thing as well is not, not stars that are just in isolation. Stars can often form in binaries. You're going to have two stars that are orbiting each other. So what if both of those eventually form a black hole? Then you'd have a situation where you have two black holes orbiting each other. And uh, it turns out that when you have these two objects orbiting each other, whether it be black holes or not, it's actually, that orbit is actually decaying because it's actually radiating some energy out in the form of what are called gravitational waves, which turns out to be another of the uh, predictions of Einstein's theory of general relativity. Mm-hmm. So what people have been doing for many, many years is uh, building ways of detecting gravitational waves from such situations. Because gravitational waves were a theoretical concept that appeared on the page, like many of the theoretical concepts that I talked about. And theoretical concepts, when you work them out in enough detail, have observational consequences. And so people actually uh, kept asking for funds uh, to build more and more sensitive uh, gravitational wave detectors. And eventually, in, in, uh, in 2015, uh, 100 years actually, uh, uh, almost to the day, uh, after Einstein writing down his theory of general relativity, they actually did begin to see gravitational waves. And it was when, they, when the dust settled, uh, they realized it was from a pair of black holes orbiting each other and then I remember reading about this, yeah. 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 So um, it turns out, so that's an amazing story uh, because now we're seeing through this method, uh, we're seeing black holes do things that we've always dreamed about in our, in, our, in our theoretical work, but now we, we have the output of that. So that could be a whole new window into understanding black hole physics. 
So is that catastrophic? When that ha- that sounds very like if that was to happen mm-hmm. near yeah, if you, Earth, yeah. that would wipe everything. Oh, it, it was it's spectacular how much energy yeah. is involved in that. Yeah, it's it's pretty catastrophic by any measure. Yeah, wow, but nature cool. is full of catastrophic stuff. We yeah. live in a very very quiet, uh, protected corner of an incredibly vibrant universe where stuff is happening that's cataclysmic all around mm-hmm. um, the cores of galaxies galaxies colliding into each other all kinds of things going on huge amounts of energy being thrown around so this is just you know another example although or a particularly spectacular one of, of that sort of thing going on do you think that because it's so um the odds are stacked against us with all this other uh, calamity happening that we are alone do you think there's life I mean, even on Mars, mm-hmm. I know that the rover, they're finding some water right underground, mm-hmm. possibly testing for organisms. Mm-hmm. I might be incorrect about that, but mm-hmm. um, I believe reading something along those lines. Sure. sure. Um, We're always looking for yeah, signs of life elsewhere. And it seems like the first detection of it is going to probably be some kind of microbe or something like that, right? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Not, probably, um, well, who knows? Probably is a bit strong, but yeah. Uh, but it seems very be where it starts. Yeah, precious in the fact that what you're saying is with all this calamity happening, and we're nestled in this little safe right place. Uh-huh. What, are, what are the odds of that? And what are the odds of there being? I mean, I know the 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 universe is infinite; it's massive. But uh, you know, maybe it's not as the people that speculate there's life that's abundant in the universe. Maybe it's not as abundant mm-hmm. as. Because, because think, you think it's such a violent place that maybe that it's just not hospitable elsewhere? Possibly. That's a great, that's a great thought. Well, um, so we could be conservative. Let's say that in our entire galaxy, we just happen to be in the one safe spot, which mm-hmm. is not actually true. There's lots of similar looking safe spots around. But let's just be conservative and say there's just the one safe spot in the Milky Way galaxy, and, and that's where we are. Well, there are billions of galaxies. So... Even if we just have one safe spot in one each of those galaxies, there's still a lot of scope for there being other places, other, other places where life can pop up. Do you, what do you? And, then, th- and then, again, I sorry, I need to jump in. And no, again, oh, this often isn't said enough. Said said often enough, in my opinion, it really should be life as we know it, because there could be other ways. There could be other forms of life. There could be other ways of giving rise putting matter together in a way that gives rise to that which we call life in some meaningful sense that that isn't you know made of mostly carbon and water and stuff like that, that we don't understand yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you know i wouldn't be surprised if one day when or if we 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 discover life in other parts of the universe i wouldn't be surprised that among the places we find life are in places that we thought would be incredibly inhospitable to life near some of the cataclysmic stuff we're just talking about. Because we've already seen that here on Earth. You, 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 uh, you dive uh, into weird, incredibly poisonous uh, lakes or deep down into the darkest regions of the ocean where there's no sunlight but there's volcanic activity and you find life. Right. So, yeah. So it, life is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there's any um, credence or, or um, um, evidence to support uh, 
to go back to Tesla and Musk's theory about the hologram, we live in a hologram. Mm. Have you heard that? Yeah. Do you, and, and not to talk about pseudoscience. No, no, anything, no. That, that, I heard <laughs> him recently uh, propose, propose that idea. And, um, it, cause he, well, he's not, I, I need to jump in there. He's not proposing the idea. Okay. He's recycling some stuff he's read. That people, have been, people who actually do this sort of thing for a business have been thinking about for a long time. But okay. it gets attributed to Musk because he's famous. Okay. Right. But um, uh, the, the idea of um, the universe either being a simulation or being a hologram in some sense, or all of these different things. These ideas, you know, have been around for so long, and they come back. We, we, we get a little bit more sophisticated in, in, in the technology we're working on, and then we, we revisit the idea in some new form. But it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very old idea that, that really hasn't been updated in any uh, substantial, substantial way, way. Um, certainly not by Musk, mm. um, uh, for some time. But it's fun to play with. I'm not saying don't play with it. It's just you need evidence. Is there certain equations? Again, and my my knowledge of this is, I I, I, I I'm sorry that it's poor. No, but it's fine. Don't are there, apologize. Are there certain mathematical equations that wouldn't work unless we were in a hologram? That's my understanding. That's of a great question. And and uh, the uh, that that would be the way. You know, if you were going to try and prove that you lived in a simulation. That's what you would need to do. You would need to find some means of um, uh, first talking about uh, things that are in the simulation that 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 owe their existence to being in a simulation, and that, that's really hard to tease out. Uh, um, people point to things like Gödel's incompleteness theorem and things like that, which you may may or may not know. I don't, about, I'm not familiar with that. As as uh, as as evidence in their favor. Uh, that that without going into detail i would say i would i would say that, no, that there's nothing even close to being conclusive mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's fun speculation and um uh no one i don't think anyone has cooked up anything that would be construed as as evidence um or something that you could in principle uh test yet but okay perhaps uh, perhaps i'm wrong Perhaps I, uh, I, I've, uh, you know, not been keeping up with the latest, uh, the latest uh, on this, but um, I, 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 th- I think I would have heard something by now. Still, <laughs> the jury's still out on that. Uh, one. Yeah, but gold. You wanted to know about gold? Yes, please. Um, so uh, it turns out that the thing people thought would be the first thing that they would have seen with gravitational wave experiments was not colliding black holes. Although we were, we were quite happy that we saw that because it, it's already begun to revolutionize our understanding of black holes, and I think we'll continue to do so. But what people were expecting at first was colliding neutron stars. So uh, I need to briefly tell you what a neutron star is. Yes. And uh, so it turns out that there's an intermediate stage. Um, when, I talk, when I describe the end state of a star, it runs out of fuel, it collapses. Um, a lot of those stars can actually end up as what are called neutron stars um, and never get to being black holes. Okay. It is often sometimes as a result of not having enough matter to start with, so they don't collapse all the way down. They get to a point where some, some, there, there's enough other new physics that turns on, and this time it turns out to be uh, something that's happening in the nuclear physics that, that, that stops the matter from collapsing. And essentially, the thing becomes uh, a star made entirely of, neut- of nuclear material. Okay. Um, so it's incredibly dense. 
the famous uh, thing you'll hear is that it's like taking uh, all the matter in the sun and compressing it down to the size of Manhattan. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's incredibly dense stuff. And, you know, the, the things people say, initially, if you took a teaspoon of that material, it would weigh millions of tons. So incredibly dense material that we know exists uh, in the universe. Um, and it's called neutron stars. So you can have situations where um, those binary stars I talked about, pairs of ordinary stars that get to a point in their life where they collapse, um, they form neutron stars, and they're orbiting each other, and then, indeed, they will radiate gravitationally energy away so that that orbit decays, and eventually they collide into each other, just as I described for the black holes. Mm -hmm. But now you have something much more, uh, quite different, Um, because whereas black holes are in some sense very simple objects, neutron stars are very complicated objects. There's there's all this nuclear material of different of of, of different uh, you know layers of it and what have you. That stuff collides into each other. Those two neutron stars, and you create the conditions uh, for fusing those neutrons, the neutron star material, into new kinds of nuclei. And, uh, uh, and so it, we now understand that that is probably where a lot of the very, very heaviest elements in our universe that we take for granted, like gold, that we get here on Earth, um, uh, comes from. Because it has always been the question, how do you make heavy nuclei in the abundances that we, that we know they are in the universe? And the he- very heaviest stuff is hard to make. Uh, you make heavy nuclei by various kinds of processes, um, where you fuse the stuff together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually wants to repel. Um, so you need uh, to take that stuff and squeeze it together and hold it together long enough for it to fuse together to make new stuff. So, so you know, you start with hydrogen, the simplest kind of atom that, 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 that has a, the simplest nucleus possible. And then you have helium and lithium or what have you. Those nuclei get more and more complicated. So to get stuff like gold and, and you, know, you know, pick other things, uranium, plutonium, all of those sorts of things that have, you know, uh, nucle- nuclei made up of, 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 of hundreds of, of, of nuclear particles, um, protons and neutrons, uh, you need very special conditions. And we understood where some of those conditions were in things called supernova explosions, but it, it wasn't adding up. Um, so imagine the following situation, dream situation. This is the very definition of what I mean by being an exciting time in physics. Mm -hmm. You're within a year of having developed a whole new kind of detector that can tell you, uh, seconds before, uh, that two neutron stars are about to collide because you can measure the gravitational waves coming from them. And the signal includes not just the collision, but the lead up to the collision. So that's what that's the reality now. These gravitational wave detectors do that. So yeah. So you just receive like a red alert, like so ten exactly. seconds before. So uh, a, f- a few seconds, or in some cases, a few fractions of a second before they collide, um, your gravitational wave detector picks it up. You, either because you've programmed your computer to detect these or because you get on the phone or whatever, you contact everybody you can (laughs) who has a telescope and you say, my detector and the other detectors of the network I'm part of have triangulated uh, this signal and it's telling you that a few seconds from now, if you look at that patch of sky, 
you're going to see the results of two neutron stars colliding. Measure everything you can. And so that's actually what happened. Uh, not quite because we, we weren't exactly, you know, the network of being able to communicate and get everyone on board yeah. uh, in advance wasn't ready, but that's what the field is preparing to do now. Um, but it just so happened that there was some luck. And so what happened is that the collision happened. Uh, it was noticed in the neutron in the, uh, that it was uh, two neutron stars collided. Uh, the word went out, whoever has the telescope time uh, and pointing in the right direction or can point it in the right direction. In this area of sky, they couldn't quite triangulate it because there weren't enough gravitational wave detectors alive at the time. Now, you know, soon there will be. Uh, but they said, in this patch of sky, we think there's something interesting. Please look for it. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, after a bit of looking, people found it. I forget how long it took, but people found it um, in, in, you know, a relatively short time and then were able to measure it. What did they see? Well, they saw the results of what happens when you take a bunch of nu nuclear material and you collide it at unimaginably high energies compared to what we can do here on Earth. You collide it together to fuse to make new stuff because in the fusion that makes that stuff, there's a lot of radiation that's emitted that tells you information about what's being formed. So you do what's called spectroscopy. And so our colleagues, for example, the Carnegie Observatories, uh, again, just up the road in Pasadena, were among some of the telescopes that, that looked at it very early on and did the measurements. And when you map it out, what they saw um, and what they jointly reported was this most amazing story that we actually saw um, the, the, the signals coming out of that collision telling you about the various elements that are being formed, including famously gold. Wow. And so now we know that in neutron star collisions, that really can be the source of probably most of the heavy elements that we, that we use here on Earth to make you know, the stuff that we like, the shiny stuff that we wear as jewelry or that we build uh, you know, uh, important devices out of uh, for, to make our phones work, to make our communications work. So again... Who knew that messing around with these fundamental questions about Einstein's theory of relativity and collapsing stars and stuff like that can tell you the origin of the stuff that we use to make our lives better? Um, so some of the gold or all of the gold on Earth? Probably. Pro uh, uh, so gold in the universe, in the universe. Um, uh, needs to be made somewhere. Right. And uh, and uh, it now seems that the bulk of it is probably made in events of that kind, which falls to Earth. Well, some of it, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so I should say, you know, the stuff we're made out of. So this is the, old, the age old thing that uh, goes back to uh, a, a scientist called Fred Hoyle, but 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 um, is mostly attributed to Carl Sagan um, because he said it very poetically many years later. We're made of star stuff, mm -hmm. right? The stuff, the materials we're made of, um, uh, a lot of it, um, most of it, was manufactured uh, in dying stars, and it gets recycled. Um, so uh, uh, that stuff, uh, when those stars explode or when they collide, that stuff forms and then it gets thrown out into the universe. It collects together and eventually forms solar systems. Uh, uh, life evolves and uses that stuff, or, li or life is made out of that stuff. Wow. So those heavy elements that we that we dig up or that are in our bodies actually and part of a biology were manufactured in stars and some of it was manufactured in colliding neutron stars which is an awesome thing to know. Um this is a question that I had for the next uh question and I hope we have a little time to talk uh -huh. about um, and then I, I should I should probably go pretty soon but quantum yeah. entanglement. Um but 
do you, with all you know about the universe, are you a religious person? Um, and I know it's a personal question, but do you think your evidence for science uh, points to there being a deity of some kind? I, I, I do not um, know of any particular bit of um, uh, scientific work that has anything to say about the existence of a deity. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I, I just don't think that's what science is, is, is about. Is, is about. Okay. I just, from, again, from somebody who's looking at it with a very a simplistic view, you see all this magnificent things in you, and, and especially how everything works out on paper, Mm-hmm. And it seems to be an order to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just seems, and I'm not saying, I, again, who am I to, to say? I don't know, but it seems like there is a, as an order to everything that is very neatly sort of um, mm-hmm. organized. Right, you know, and, 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 and so it, it is natural for some people to think, well, that order must be there for a reason. And, and, and given that in our everyday experience, um, especially uh, outside of the science realm, uh, the things that we normally see give rise to order is usually because there's a there's an intelligent agent that's that's you know you know here's here's a pile of random rocks someone came along and, and lines them up and puts a pattern in there so we're 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 accustomed to associating uh, uh, ordered logical structures with someone having done that right. and so it, it is natural I I, I don't I don't feel that you should apologize for, uh, as many people do, making the leap that if you see all of this order and beauty around it, maybe there's some intelligent being that um, put it together. That, that put it together. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I have to say that that isn't the only logical possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we we do know of examples where where um, order and structure can arise spontaneously. Um, and uh, that 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 also doesn't mean that the opposite isn't true. But I'm just saying that there there are more possibilities. It, it need not be that uh, that straightforward. But the bottom line is the job of science is to find the simplest explanation for observable phenomena. Uh, and uh, many you know when you when you open the Pandora's box of there being an intelligent being that's controlling stuff, you you end up creating more questions than you answer if you, if you were to really open-mindedly follow that possibility. Because you get to go, well, who made that being? Right. What's that being made of? It's a whole Why is that being doing that? <laughs> right? And, and, and sometimes that's, a, that's actually a much more complicated set of, of questions than writing down a really really simple equation that mm. you know a good example is you know uh newton writing down his universal law of gravity one simple equation accounted for the motion of all of the observable planets and other other phenomena in the sky uh and that turned out to be way simpler than the proposal at the time which would have been that you know there there are there are there are magical angels moving the stuff around and uh in various ways uh so you get to go you get to ask the question which is right you get to ask the question which is simpler and it turns out that newton's universal gravity is simpler and does the job and predicts stuff because that same thing also tells you how to uh 
uh, do stuff here on Earth and mm. predict the existence of new planets and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's partly a matter of taste uh, uh, and partly a matter of pragmatism. And uh, I don't, uh, I don't feel people should apologize for f- feeling the urge to to somehow personalize, as as often happens with religion. Mm-hmm. Not all religion, um, and and uh, and uh, you know, uh, subscribe to to uh the existence of something greater than them that mm. may be still personally connected by having an intelligence and uh agency and stuff like that a god uh i i feel it's extremely natural that people do that um and uh uh that's you know as far as it goes that's just fine mm. i wanted to just uh ask you about one other freaky phenomenon Mm-hmm. quantum entanglement mm-hmm. uh which i know to break it down and to explain into like 10 15 minutes is probably very not easy to do because it seems very um esoteric in a lot of ways or maybe not mm-hmm. um but so you have basically two particles mm-hmm. that could be separated by an infinite amount of space mm-hmm. and if one is spinning in one direction the other is spinning in a similar direction if one rot- uh, rotates in a different direction the other will do the same is that am i on point or am I uh, not quite? Um, but you're 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 almost almost there. Uh, I, I I mean you you've got the essence of the idea, but I, I need to sharpen it uh, so that we can make sure that it, depending on where we go with this, that 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 um, that we we, you know, we sharpened it enough that we can conclude something you from know, it from it. Okay. So. The point, uh, so if you like, the definition of, qu- of quantum entanglement is the following. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it seems in our, in our universe, uh, you, describe, uh, you describe things uh, uh, in terms of the quantum state of the system. And uh, you, so you would have thought, if you told someone with a very Newtonian perspective of physics... Uh, that all different objects, maybe you, you have some, some quantum state associated with it, and that's how you do quantum physics, and, and then off you go. And then when you make a measurement of something, you, you, you sort of, you, you're asking what state is it in. That's a fancy way of saying I measure it. Is it up or is it down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, and if, if that were all there was, then that would be very nice, and we'd be done. But it turned out that... Uh, Fairly soon after quantum mechanics was developed, it was realized that you would have systems whereby the quantum state of that system involves pieces of the system that can be arbitrarily far apart from each other. Um, So the simple example is what you said. I have two particles, um, and uh, I... uh, they, 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 to describe the quantum state associated with those two particles, um, uh, sorry, I have a quantum state associated with those two particles regardless of how far apart they are. Mm-hmm. So that when I know something about one particle, I automatically know something about the other particle. 
And so that's the key thing. That's the part I needed to sharpen. Mm -hmm. So, so an example of that is the following. Um, uh, you can have sort of a particle, you can have a property of a particle called spin. So I'm holding up a pencil here and, and I have the point pointing upwards. And you can have a particle such that um, it's pointing up or the pencil, but the spin is pointing down. So you can have a situation where in an experiment you create, you start with a state that has no spin. And out of that comes uh, two particles that are flying apart. Now, um, uh, you can still have that system have no spin if one of those particles is spinning up and the other one is spinning down. So they cancel each other out. It's okay. like a plus and a minus. Okay. So, um, but you do not know because you haven't measured it yet which particle has spin up and which particle has spin down. All you know is that one is up and one is down so that they add to zero. Yeah. So the quantum state of that system is that there's no spin. Um, and then you just wait and those particles fly apart. And one, you know, is one, one, one you measure here. Uh, the other is halfway across the galaxy because you waited long enough. So you have the situation where if I ask, if I do the measurement and discover that this particle here has been up, that means that the particle over there is now in a state where it has spin down. It has to be. So a, there was always a probability that it could have been the other way. And that's the whole quantum thing where it, you know, it has probability uh, uh, being up and um, uh, equal probability being down. And when you make the measurement, you, in some sense, put it in one state or the other. So I measure this particle. I ends up in, it ends up in spin, uh, spin up. That means my measurement has forced that particle that's halfway across the galaxy to be in spin down. And... That bothered people for a long time because that would seem to suggest that um, the, the, uh, there's some effect that you made, did on this particle that affects a particle so far away that light would not have had time to get to that other particle to communicate that signal. So Einstein, for example, thought that meant that, uh, that you've come up with a way of communicating faster than the speed of light, which, which would, which, you know, for, for other reasons we think is, is not a thing you can do. So that's what entanglement is. What did they prove that you could travel faster than the speed of no. light? Okay. I thought no. they shot the, uh, pro with the, with the collider. Yeah. You see that, that's the problem with, uh, this goes back to, uh, junk sources of information. Right. So sometimes junk sources of information are um, articles written about results of experiments that uh, turn out later to be wrong. Okay. But unfortunately, because of the way journalism is, um, journalism has uh, largely, a lot of it has, has been about chasing sensationalism. Sure. So that turned out to be a mistake that was corrected and understood, but the journalist didn't come back and write more stories going, Oh, we they fixed it, it now. Yeah. So that's a problem. Okay. Yeah. So the answer is, is that no, there, 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 there has never been um, uh, a body of work uh, that has uh, held up under scrutiny, suggesting that you can travel faster than the speed of light. Um, so how, so they're not. Sorry, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not communicating. Exactly. Um, so exactly. But yeah. does that mean they are connected in some yes. way? Okay. So that, that, that you, you've, you've essentially resolved the paradox. Uh, there is no paradox. 
the paradox was is that um, Einstein and many others, including people today, uh, um, but mostly people from the older era, um, were spoiled by the fact that when you're not doing quantum mechanics, all the physics we've done so far um, uh, really was prejudiced toward the idea that the properties, the physical properties of a system are somehow uh, um, the the technical term is is is, is local. It's localizable in space and time. In that there there could be information. You know, there's information about uh, uh, some stuff that is somehow uh, what's the word I'm looking for is it, it, sort of local. Uh, 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 somehow, if you like, glued to that stuff. Right, so I measure this thing, and that gives me all the information about the thing, as opposed to a completely logical possibility that we just hadn't thought of because we'd been, we had no reason to think of it, which is that there could be information about states of objects in the universe that that isn't localized in any sense. So, so the quantum state of this particle pair that I told you about um, uh, is is in some sense intrinsically non-local. It's telling us about information about these two particles, despite the fact that these particles are arbitrarily far separated from each other. Hmm. And, 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 and so we just had to get, grip, to get to grips with the idea that there's information, important information, about um, the properties of things in the universe that, that isn't stored locally, uh, for want of a better word. I don't know if that... If that makes sense, so it's kind of in the cloud, sort of. If you like, yeah, <laughs> okay. it's, it's sort of in the cloud, it's yes. in the cloud. <laughs> but the cloud doesn't exist anywhere, yeah. <laughs> so there's no, um, you know, uh, that's actually an excellent phrase. That's really, I'm gonna, um, with your permission, oh, actually, please. or without your permission, no, I'm please gonna steal, steal that. it. <laughs> um, it's in yeah, the cloud, but there's no uh, server anywhere, uh, right? The, the, well, the, the, um, it's not that there's no server. It's just that the server is 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 itself not local. It's okay. not. It's not. It's not. It's not uh, in any particular place. It's distributed. <laughs> um, can I ask? So then, does every particle have a pair, or no? So how so, are they paired? Right. Um, so the issue here is, is is that that was a result of a particular situation, um, right? So so that was, um, for example. That could have been, say, uh, uh, two electrons or an electron and a positron or something that had been created in some particular situation that then, that then flew apart. And because of that particular situation, they were quantum mechanically connected until I measure one of them, um, uh, uh, you know, which, which in the old language is what we call collapse of the wave function, but don't, don't worry about that. Don't use that language. Um, the point is, is that it isn't that every particle has a pair. Uh, entanglement is 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 uh, is simply a a a, a uh, can be a consequence of a particular situation and interaction between things. Um, but that doesn't mean that things need have interacted and be entangled with some other thing. It really just depends upon the situation. So you can just think of it as another. Um, uh, another possibility in the in the dynamics that things can do when they interact with each other, uh, you know, interacting with each other 
in various ways. And, and sometimes there are correlations that end up between the things that interacted that, um, that, uh, that you can probe in measurements regardless of how far apart these things are. Does that help? I think so. Yeah. Does it give any credence to the notion that we are all connected in some way or that positive thinking could manifest other things in the, the world? This, your this thought is process? a marvelous marvel. And, and that, you, that's a, that, that you threw that one, that you, you lobbed that one over the net gently for me and, <laughs> and it sat up and beg and I'm going to take a whack at it. Uh, exactly. This is, a, this is a great example of what we were talking about earlier where um, a very, very precise... And I, I, I hope, even though it might have been, sounded a bit technical, but it sort of needed to be a very precise understanding of a real physical phenomenon in the universe that sounds a little weird, can get co-opted by people who want you to believe in what they're selling. whatever woo-woo stuff they want to tell you yeah. because they're selling you a thing. Right. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes the thing is just, you know, their latest book saying how they understand the whole universe because of quantum physics. Uh, but sometimes they're actually trying to, you know, you know, get you to part with more than just, you know, 15 bucks for a book, mm -hmm. um, as is the case with, with some, with some establishments. Um, and that, that's a, but they get to use the language of some poorly understood in the public sphere, bit of science to, to justify this this phenomenon they're trying to get you to uh, to to believe, so that can often happen. But sometimes it's innocent. Sometimes people again hear of a thing, and they may want to believe in a connection. Maybe they lost someone. Maybe they uh, they care deeply about someone they're separated from, and what have you. And it's very natural for people to go, maybe 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 I feel a connection and and and. And, and maybe there's a real thing out there that people haven't yet discovered in science that can explain this connection I'm feeling. Whether it's right or wrong, it's very natural for them to reach for that. And so there are sometimes uh, nefarious misuses of scientific discoveries, uh, and there are sometimes uh, innocent misuses as well. And separating those out is, is difficult and um, sometimes painful. Uh, but um, yeah... It, 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 it is indeed nothing to do with... There's no base, uh, uh, scientific uh, basis. Yeah, and, and people will also say it's how, it's how you, you know, connect to dead ancestors and stuff like that. No, it's nothing, none of that has anything to do with quantum entanglement, um, uh, at least the thing I just described. Uh, not the least because quantum entanglement is an extremely delicate thing. It's very easy to destroy entanglement. So if you're going to use entanglement to to make two people feel connected or, or any of those other things, then you have to explain why, how they remain entangled when, it, when in real experiments uh, it's very difficult to keep things entangled for more than a few fractions of a second. So, again, people... So it's will, not a permanent state. It's no, a, it's not a permanent. Because state. remember what I said. There's, there's another measurement or an interaction okay. which, which, uh, which untangles those two things. I it see. tells you that this particle is in spin-up and so that other particles and spin down, you've now done that measurement, you're done. There's no more entanglement, essentially. Okay. And so you destroy it. Um, people spend a huge amount of time trying to build uh, systems that have entanglement in it in order to do certain kinds of computations called quantum computers. One of the things they spend a lot of time fighting about and spend millions of dollars trying to do is to protect stuff from de-entangling 
long mm-hmm. enough to do the computation. So if someone tells you that, oh, uh, you know, I'm talking to this person with my mind because of quantum entanglement, uh, you go, how are you stopping? How are you stopping the entanglement from from getting destroyed? Because people who work on that say it's would extremely love to delicate. Know. Yeah, and then if they can explain that, that would be awesome, and they should let us know a way to preserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Dr. Johnson, I know we've ran over, um, but I wanted to ask you as, a, as one last question. You should probably break this into part one and part two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fascinating to me, and I think it's going to be fascinating uh, to a lot of other listeners. Um, just lastly, why should people uh, be interested and curious about uh, physics and astronomy, and, and why should they do their due diligence and um, not believe a lot of these clickbait things, but also dig a little deeper and, and get the, uh, the real facts well, because um, uh, so hopefully in some of the things I've already described, um, uh, people have already seen reason, which is that it is, it is fascinating. It is exciting. Um, we're learning things about the stuff right here on Earth by looking up into the heavens, which, is, which has been going on for thousands of years, right? That, that's a long tradition. We, um, when you when you stare up at those stars in the sky, going back to you know you've 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 not the beast on the head. Okay, if you're a vegetarian, you've you've harvested, um, uh, or you've you've in those days you would have you you've gathered the the berries and the what have you. Mm-hmm. You've filled your belly. You look up at the stars and you wonder what those things are. Um, and uh, coming from that is so many things that are extremely interesting, but also useful, right? Um, and uh, that is still the reason to get excited about this stuff. Along the way, you get other things. You get spin-offs, of course, which is great. Electricity and magnetism have revolutionized our, our, our world, and those were curiosity-driven things. Um, uh, we live longer as a result of improved technology and medicine, which all start uh, from, from, from uh, curiosity-driven research. But it's also an intensely human endeavor. And if you're interested in human beings, as well as the, the universe in which we live, you're interested in human beings, it's a great place to see uh, the, the wonder of the human spirit at work, right? Curiosity, cooperation, uh, diversity of effort, and, and the kinds of people who come to a problem. So the, 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 the most spectacular international uh, collaborations um, that have resulted in in uh, in wonderful things for humanity uh, include scientific collaborations, and so uh, so and and in and uh, in astronomy, astrophysics, and high energy physics, those are among the largest collaborations, the largest machines, the most largest, the most complicated machines that have ever been constructed, um, uh, have been made by international teams of people curious about how the world works, uh, building them in in uh, in places uh, like. Uh, uh, here in the U.S. and some of the national labs, but also some of the international labs in Europe and uh, in uh, Asia and other places. So I, I just think it's a marvelous place to to see many of the things that people find interesting, whether it be uh, human beings doing wonderful things together, or um, or or just getting the answers to why the why are we here questions, um, which people are driven to either. 
out of curiosity or from religion or other things. So, so the, those are just a few of the reasons why it's a great, it's a great thing to look at. And it's a marvelous time because of the reasons I said, mm. um, that the science and the technology, the questions we're asking are all coming together in a way that I think is uh, ripe for new amazing discoveries. Well, this was uh, an amazing conversation. I wish we can go <laughs> a longer, do another two hours. Um, uh, you're absolutely brilliant, and um, this was fascinating, and I can't thank you enough for uh, for doing it. Um, well, uh, thank you very much. You're, you're very kind uh, uh, to, to let me take up all this time, and I, I hope we didn't lose too many, uh, too many listeners, and hopefully people found it interesting. And, and at the very least, I hope I've got people excited enough to go and find out more. Uh, there's so many, as we started out saying, mm-hmm. there's so many places you can find out more um, uh, in, in your favorite mode, whether it be books or, or TV or uh, podcasts or, you know, social media and things like that. So keep learning, keep being curious. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And don't lose that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's fundamental to, um, uh, you know, what makes life worth living, in my opinion. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much. Pleasure. If you like what you just heard and you want to help support the podcast, visit us on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and search for the Futuristic Podcast of Mark Gerlach.